everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into reports going on about some films coming out this fall in 2023 that could be delayed due to the ongoing dual strikes of both the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America. So we'll get into that. I'm also going to be talking about some trending trailers, one that came out for a film that's coming out later this fall and one for a TV show that is just around the corner in about two weeks that just came out with their first trailer. So I'm going to be getting into that and so much more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today is since I really haven't had one this week and I didn't really get to talk about the box office on Monday or Tuesday, I have my reviews out if you want to check out both for both Barbie and Oppenheimer is not give the box office recap since we're kind of into the next weekend already and we're about to have the second weekend of both Barbenheimer. I do want to talk about the actual phenomenon though that is Barbenheimer with which both Barbie and Oppenheimer came out last week. They had their opening weekends and this has been that was a weekend and these are two films that I have very much been looking forward to. Oppenheimer was my most anticipated film of 2023. Barbie was at number eight last year when it was announced that Barbie would be coming out on this date in 2023. I knew what that could potentially mean and for me as a movie fan it was Nolan against Barbie. It was Nolan against Warner Brothers who was the the production company and the distributor that did Barbie. It's him against his old home since uh, since no one was at Universal now, ever since kind of the tumultuous relationship kind of went through the ringer due to the pandemic and the fact that Warner Brothers at the time was owned by AT&T under different management than it is right now with Discovery and David Zasloff, they decided in 2021 to do a day and date release of their films on theaters and on HBO Max, which was Max or was named HBO Max at the time. It is now called Max. They decided to put their films out in, in in both of those formats. No one didn't like that. He didn't like the way that Tenant was released, even though Warner Brothers took a huge risk in putting that film out in 2020, really at the height of the pandemic. When we look back on those couple of years of the peak pandemic era and so there was just a lot of storylines going into all this but I could even though I was excited about this and as a movie fan I knew what this weekend was going to mean it was unlike anything we really had experienced before I think as movie fans of seeing these two types of films complete opposites of one another but had incredible A-list directors incredible A-list casts go at one another in this kind of box office matchup it was going to be really interesting to see but I could never have even for myself fathomed what last weekend and even this past week would really become in this global phenomenon that is now and will forever be known as Barbenheimer. And it just completely, I think, took everyone, including myself, by storm for how well both of these films did as a collective and individually. I mean, when you look at the collective money gathering that these two films did opening weekend, overall, it was the fourth highest earning weekend of all time at the domestic box office. The only other two or three, rather, that eclipse it is number one, the weekend that Avengers Endgame came out back in 2019. The second was in December of 2015 when the seventh installment of the Skywalker Saga came out in Star Wars The Force Awakens. 30 years since we saw Luke, Han, and Leia on the screen, so that was very much anticipated. And then number three was Avengers Infinity War back in 2018 when you had the culmination or the first part of the culmination and everything we've witnessed in the Marvel Cinematic universe seeing all these characters really be on the screen for the very first time Thanos was introduced to everybody and it became this huge moment same thing with Avengers Endgame but if you really take those three away and the fact that those are existing IPs sequels this past weekend at the box office is the is really the highest grossing weekend for original movie making and I know people will say that well Barbie is based off of a doll it's from a company but it's not Barbie in terms of the film franchises there's no such thing as as Barbie the film franchise there were no films preceding this that were hugely popular back in the day this was the first true live action feature film debut for the doll 
all Barbie, the world of Barbie, and it was directed by somebody who, if you know Greta Gerwig, she is truly an original artistic filmmaker, and the way that she directed Barbie, I think, really lends to her roots, and she definitely, I think, ratcheted up in terms of making it on a big blockbuster scale, but she's somebody who is very much an artistic-driven filmmaker, and then, of course, on the other side, you have Christopher Nolan, who is, other than the Batman films, is known to make original-driven films that deal in the world of sci-fi or war, and in the case of opera an autobiographical war movie and they he's been able to really kind of land in making those really big successes so really this weekend in terms of originality and filmmaking and just movies in general this really is the biggest weekend of all time for movies in general i think coming off of a summer movie season right now that has kind of been flailing a little bit it hasn't really been i think the strong season that even 2022 was where you had successes like top gun maverick the black phone elvis jurassic world thor love and thunder doctor strange you've had some hits within the summer season like guardians of the galaxy spider-man across the spider-verse but everything else has kind of been flailing i mean even something like mission impossible dead reckoning part one is not able to replicate a the success of previous mission impossible installments but it isn't even able to replicate what i think myself and a lot of others thought where we'll be able to ride the coattails of the wave that was top gun maverick last year and everyone would want to be pot in the popularity of tom cruise they know the films that he does they would be excited for those but clearly everyone was saving up their money to go either see Barbie or Oppenheimer and clearly this in the past weekend and clearly this past week even though Oppenheimer Oppenheimer has done really really well for itself 82 million dollars opening weekend highest grossing original R-rated film ever and the biggest Nolan debut ever minus the Batman films that he did in the Dark Knight trilogy this that is the highest grossing opening weekend for him and the fact that it was an R-rated black and white sometimes black and white movie that didn't have a lot of action or entertainment really even though i thought it was phenomenal that's a harder sell to get people to go see that than it is to go see barbie but the fact that it was able to do 82 million dollars opening weekend and still eclipse over 100 million dollars going into this second weekend for the film is absolutely incredible but really it just showcases also what barbie was able to do and the fact that Barbie grossed 161 million dollars opening weekend when you take into effect the actuals the fact that it hit more than that and I always say that it's very rare that the actuals are way over what the estimates project on Sundays because usually when box office box office estimates or when box office numbers come out on Sunday usually those are the estimates but nine times out of ten, the estimates on Monday when they actually, when they become the actuals when they finally calculate the numbers on Sunday to get the overall final number for the opening weekend, it's usually, if anything, a couple thousand, hundred thousand dollar difference, maybe one or two million dollars sometimes. But this one was one of the rare ones where it went over on the expectations for what it was able to do on Sunday. And then the fact that it hit and made the biggest non-opening Monday for Warner Brothers movie, surpassing the Dark Knight, same thing with Tuesday and Wednesday, just showcases the, the, the 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 phenomenon that this Barbie film really is and I think when you look at it, it makes sense for what they were able to to accomplish with this film and the fact that it is based off of an IP in some sense in Barbie with what Mattel has created in the world of Barbie and Ken's and the dolls themselves. But the fact that I think Warner Brothers did an outstanding marketing campaign and they were able to really showcase that Barbie can be for everybody, at least this movie drew in, I think, a lot of females, obviously, that that demographic was huge in the success of this film but the male demographic i think really went in for this film it's opening weekend and when you look at the week itself it still was very very strong there was really no let up whatsoever from the opening weekend to its sophomore window that is about to come up it's already made over 700 million dollars or by the end of this weekend it's expected to make 700 million dollars and well on its way to being the second highest grossing film of all of this year in possibly making over a billion dollars by next weekend in its third in its third frame and it's just an absolutely amazing feat and i gotta say i have a friend friends of mine who listen to this podcast and one of them is somebody who i've known since college he worked 
worked with me on the screening room. His name is Ben Gregory. And sometimes he listens to this podcast. So if he's listening this time, Ben, I got to give you a shout out because he's somebody who told me earlier in the summer season, you know, Listen, Barbie might be able to make over a billion dollars. It might be the highest grossing film of the summer. And even myself was like, maybe I could maybe see doing 600, 700 million dollars potentially at most. It's not going to make a billion dollars. It'd be impressive if it did, but I don't know if it will. And I got to give him props. He was one of the few people that actually got it right. And this film, even though it hasn't done it yet, it's going to probably make over a billion dollars and by the end of the summer it'll be very interesting to see if it's able to pass a super mario brothers film which has made around 1.3 billion dollars this year so far and see if it's able to overtake mario and become the highest grossing film of 2023 so far and when you look at the rest of the summer slate it could be a permanent position for barbie at that top spot if it does get it because i don't know any other film that's going to be able to take off and run with that number really when you really look at the fall slate and there's films that i think are exciting for the fall season but i don't know i mean i don't think we thought barbie would be able to do it but just looking at the fall slate it's tough to see what can really go out there and challenge barbie and mario for those top spots in 2023 worldwide at the box office and you got to give again warner brothers marketing a huge amount of credit for the amazing campaign that they went on for this film dating really for me not when the first teaser trailer came out i think it was last year but this year when they decided to do the posters on social media where you had all the character posters where that's barbie or he's a ken or she's a human or that's the ceo or all these different things and then it became something where you as people could take your own pictures and put yourself in those posters and that to me was what started the social media whirlwind for this film but then you had all the memes you had the 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 trends go on the fact that the, the, the fact that you can market this film in so many different ways and the fact that you that the cast and crew before the writer strike or really before the sack strike really took into place they were able to go on this whirlwind tour and you're able to have margot robbie ryan gosling greta gerwig really go out there and promote this film i think was hugely hugely an important pillar and what made this film the monster that it is right now in terms of being a financial beast that just cannot be stopped at all and i just think warner brothers marketing did an incredible job the fact that they trusted that this film would do really well both critically and financially speaks to the confidence they had in greta gerwig's vision and what the potential of this film was and and the fact that oh this is just going to be predicated towards female audiences we we can put some money towards this it could do very well first but we're not going to pay a whole lot of attention to it and they did that and i think they needed to do it because for you for warner brothers right now along with the rest of the summer movie season right now again with indiana jones and transformers and even though it did okay the little mermaid elemental it hasn't really been the knockoff summer that myself and i think a lot of other people thought this could be with a lot of these big titles that are coming out right now but For Warner Brothers, the fact that The Flash didn't work out, Shazam! Fury of the Gods didn't work out, some of the other films that they put out on their slate were kind of critical bombs. Something like Don't Worry Darling was a bomb for them last year, Black Adam. They needed a win, and Barbie gave that to them, and it was kind of a resuscitation, I think, for their film department right now. Not that they were going to go bankrupt or it was going to completely shudder, but it was a studio that was taking a lot of hits, and the company themselves, Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav, were taking a lot of punches left and right and, and all over the place, and they needed a win, and this was the win that they've been able to get right now, and it's well-deserved all the way around. And the same thing goes for Universal, and I think the way that they were able to market what 
Oppenheimer was and what the actual film is was great. And and I think that that's another where they didn't have the marketing spend or the marketing campaign that they could really utilize that Barbie was able to do. But still, I think the fact that they were able to put out their cast, their director, who really is truly the only director that can really carry a film in today's day and age. He's that guy in 21st century movie making where you can put his name up on a marquee and he don't need I mean if you have Leonardo DiCaprio up there that could help but if you just put Christopher Nolan's name up on a film on a poster in a trailer that's enough to get people to come in and watch and watch the film itself that's the pull for a film that's the superstar whereas for something like Barbie you have multiple elements that can come in and do it but I think for Universal putting those elements out there really help people get into this film and wanting to see it and also the phenomenon that again was Barbenheimer and the fact that you did double features do we see Barbie first do we see Oppenheimer first or second for me and my friends we decided to do Barbie and then Oppenheimer which personally to me I would recommend doing it that way you have the fun enjoyable time during the day and then at night you get the more denser serious film in Oppenheimer but you 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 have all those scenarios into play you you get people dressing up in pink and blue and and having the fedora hat and 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 the suit that they want to wear impersonating Oppenheimer I had a friend of mine who went in in pink to represent Barbie and then we had a couple of hours to kill so we went to a diner and he went into the bathroom and he went full on Oppenheimer had the suit that had a suit tie the hat everything and that's the kind of thing that people are doing with this with this and I think for movies it's what they need it's it's what movie theaters need right now and I remember talking to Eric Davis about this. If you go back at the beginning of the summer and, and we were talking about it in, in my interview that I had with him previewing this summer movie season, what's going to be maybe the Top Gun Maverick? What's going to be that phenomenon that can really help the box office and movie theaters right now? And I think for both of us, and I'm hoping to have him back on later this summer to kind of recap and go over the summer movie season, but I'm curious to see what his answer would be. And I think for expectations for us was that we weren't just hoping for one film to be the big centerpiece to do that but multiple films to do that and I think some films have been able to do that not just it's just not repeatedly over the last month or so that we've had multiple films come out and a lot of them unfortunately have been duds at the box office but what's the thing that's going to sweep movie people to go to the movies right now I think for me I thought again it would be something like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 I think Eric would probably say the same thing as well and I think if I were to have him back on right now I think even he and I would probably say, and even I can just speak for myself right now, that again, Barbie and Oppenheimer is something that was exciting for us. And I think for a lot of film fans and people that knew about it, but being what it is now, I don't think anybody could have predicted what this was going to be. And I think for movie theaters right now, they need this. I don't know how long this can be sustained over the next couple of weeks, especially given the fact that something like Haunted Mansion's coming up this weekend. And then the weekend after you get stuff like Teenage Mutants and Turtles and The Meg and then Blue Beetle, Gran Turismo. So how are those films going to fare in the next couple of weeks? Are they going to be able to get boosted by Barbenheimer and... And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the fall. And given the strike and everything, I just think it's amazing to have this moment for movies right now. But what's it going to look like in the next couple of weeks, especially given the fact that some films have already moved off their fall slate corridor and are moving to next year because of the strike, because they're not going to be able to promote their films, especially with the actors, something like Challengers, which has moved to next year. Now there's rumors about things, again, like Doom Part 2 potentially moving, which is would be a huge, huge loss for the month of November, and I think for the fall movie slate and for 2023 movie going, not having a film like that come out in the prime of kind of the holiday, the beginning of the holiday corridor in late 2023, and but... I, again, I'm just I'm just so happy to see this as a movie fan. It's great to see people going to to the movies, experiencing and embracing both of these films for good or for worse, whether they like it or not, or it treats something that they're desiring or or ideals that they have or not. I don't know, but the fact that people are going to see these movies and it doesn't seem like the drop off is going to be that big between opening weekend and the sophomore weekend is very encouraging to me, and it's just 
great to see this. And you 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 live as movie fans, myself, doing this podcast or just going to enjoy the movies. You live for weekends like last weekend or even these next couple of weekends during the summer season. This is the kind of stuff that you love and want people to interact with. And it brings you back to the pre-COVID era of seeing people enjoy films like this. And I think this speaks to something... Uh, given when seeing something like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse or Top Gun Maverick last year is that people just want very good films. That's what they want to see. Or given something like Avatar The Way of Water as well, which was another film that did very, very well last year, they just want quality, great movie making. I think that's something that's represented in both Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I think that's where the the mindset is for movie going audiences right now it's not just i mean ips are huge and you need those but you need you can have ips turned into great quality films and that's what people are looking for they're not going to go for mediocrity anymore they're not gonna, just going to go to go they're going to go because they want to have an experience and barbenheimer was that experience now you can have a big question of would barbie have done better or just as good or worse if it weren't for oppenheimer playing alongside of it and vice versa and I'm very very curious about that and I'm sure a lot of people would be too but this is a huge win for movies this is a huge win for movie theaters right now and I'm not ready for this thing to die down just yet and it seems like it isn't going to for the next couple of weeks so Barbenheimer just continues to absolutely crush it and I'm very excited to see where they go from here. I love both films, especially Oppenheimer. It's I said in my review, my favorite film of the year so far. Barbie, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, some great laughs with some friends that I went with as well. So overall, I think if you go see both films, one film over the other or vice versa, I think overall you're going to have a great, quality, amazing time at the movies, whether you go with friends or family, whoever you go with, or even if you just go by yourself, I think you're going to have a really good time in a crowd-filled audience with these two films. So definitely go check them out when you can. And the Barbenheimer train is real, it's legit, and it'll go down as one of the great phenomenons, not just now or in this decade or in the 21st century but when we look back i think in the movie history books and talk about the trends or what was big during certain periods of time in movie history Barmanheimer is going to go down in the history books financially, critically, just in, in terms of a movement. It's going to go down in the movie history books forever. And I think it's going to be something that's going to be examined for a long, long time. Now, can it be replicated? I I don't know. I, I really, really do not know what can come of this, if anything. I just think it's one of those things that could just be a flash in the pan. And it just, it, it is what it is at this point. But we'll see. So, and I want to know what you guys think about the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon. Did you go see both films? Did you just only see one of the films? If you saw both or just one, what were your thoughts on those movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer? Barbenheimer, let me know what you think about it down below and leave your thoughts. Now to move away from the movie corner just for a little bit, I want to transition over to TV just for a split second and move over to the podcast's TV review corner and talk about a little TV show that just ended earlier this week and that is the finale of Marvel Studios Secret Invasion aired this past Wednesday and I haven't really talked about it on the podcast and there's a reason for that there, there there's a reason why I think just over the last couple of times that I've had a podcast and a new episode I haven't really talked about the new big Marvel show that's that's come out and that right now is Secret Invasion and this is the first Disney Plus MCU show of this year so even earlier in the year there was really kind of nothing to talk about when it came to the mcu and disney plus outside of course guardians of the galaxy but there's a reason why i haven't reviewed secret invasion when i've when i've put out episodes of the sam basel podcast whether that's on wednesday or earlier in the week or later in the week i just haven't really reviewed it because for me honestly my heart has not been in Secret Invasion. I just wasn't as invested into it, and the finale really confirmed to me what I thought about this show and really some of the state of the MCU right now. So just to get into Secret Invasion overall, I think when you watch episode one through episode six, for me, and I think for some this might come as a shock, especially because I am somebody who, again, 
As a diehard MCU fan, I've loved, loved it since day one when the first Iron Man film, film came out in 2008. Avengers Endgame was probably, hands down, the greatest experience I've ever had in a movie theater. It's The MCU has delivered some great memories for me overall, even in some of the early MCU Disney Plus shows. WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel. Those are, I really enjoy to love some of those shows, but... Over in recent years, the MCU has kind of been up and down, and for me, Secret Invasion is very much a low point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me. I thought, to me, what I've always been concerned about with these Disney Plus shows, especially with Marvel, happened, and it happened on steroids for me. I've always not liked... Especially when it came to the these earlier and later shows, when it came to these quote unquote forty to fifty minute episodes, that they would only be six episodes apiece. And to me, I feel like that has hurt the MCU and it's hurt these shows overall because I feel like you are constraining yourself to own that we have to do six episodes. So whatever the story is, we have to tell it within that time frame, and that should not be the case. And I feel like some of these shows have started off really well done or have a great beginning in the middle but the endings just fall flat because there's not a lot of time to finish out the story i think something like falcon the winter soldier kind of had that a little bit moon knight had that so some of these shows just i think needed some more time to flesh itself out a bit more and i think for something like secret invasion was another case of that but it just did it i think earlier than usually episode five and six is when this happens to me this really kind of started out by episode four i was starting to feel the rush and i could say to myself well let's see where they go from here let's see what happens but then i could just see to myself "Uh uh-oh they're they're cramming a lot in here that is just being shortcutted and not giving the full treatment of what the show deserves because to me the first two episodes i thought were great i really enjoyed where they were going with this show but to me Secret Invasion will go down as a show that had great ideas, great ideas that I feel like if they did this for eight to 10 episodes, 40 and 50 minute episodes, I feel like this really truly could have been an amazing, amazing show. But to me, they they develop certain things that feel like they're just kind of tossed to the side. Character decisions happen that to me... I could see it coming and it's understandable, but to me, that there wasn't a lot of, of weight and emotion to some of the decisions that were made that I feel like were built up throughout the history of the MCU that don't feel earned enough. And to me, the story felt a little kind of cookie cutter in the way that it just was rushing through the points. Okay, we need to get to point A to point B to point C to point D to point E to point F, and then we'll fill in some things here and there, but that's it. They introduced some things that I really enjoyed and wanted to see more about characters past, especially Nick Fury. And I think if there's a strong point, I think some of the things that they bring up for Nick Fury and his character were the more interesting parts, but I wanted to see more of that. And I feel like they were just, they were like, okay, we're introducing this part, but we don't have enough time to keep going with this. So we're going to sidestep that a little bit to go back to the main story. But we have these things happening with the villains here, but we need to continue the the chemistry between Talos and Fury, but we want to include include Amelia Clark's character with with Gaia and her relationship with Talos and also we have Olivia Coleman and Don Cheadle and we need all these elements and for six episodes it didn't work and to me I'm somebody who doesn't criticize time time run or run times really when it feels like they're telling a story that's why to me when something like Mandalorian has come out and especially in the earlier seasons they were only 35 minute episodes or so to me they, they always told full complete stories and to me what made the great thing about Mandalorian seasons one and two especially was that really if you watch them together I think as a full eight episode run it tells a great complete story and I think each episode tells its own fulfilling story throughout while also telling this kind of overarching story that happens and so for me if you can tell a story and develop characters within 35 minutes and doesn't feel rushed and you're telling something I'm all for that but for me when 
you have something like Secret Invasion and you see 37 minutes and it, and it started off with 52 minute episodes, 52 minute episodes, 47 minute episodes. And then each episode after that was 37 minutes, 37 minutes, 37 minutes. And again, it was cutting all these corners. That doesn't work to me. You These episodes need to be 50 to an hour long episodes. And if you don't have the budget for that, well then guess what? Either cut down on the budget, cut down on some of the action sequences in this. Because to me, some of the greater moments were the quieter character development moments in this that just they went to other things that didn't really work and the finale to me just really told the story of cookie cutter action sequences that we didn't really need character moments that you want to feel fulfilled about but don't feel fulfilled about and then not to get into any spoilers but some of the decisions that they make for characters that get surprise reveals slights things that happened in the MCU before that and I think some things that people were complaining about that I thought you know uh, they keep doing this after Endgame it'll be fine they know what they're doing it short shrifts some of the things you know about in the past MCU properties and to me it just it, it it's very it's it's it gives me worry about what's coming in the MCU and I think again the fact that that I always thought that Guardians of the Galaxy would kind of be a, a stopgap. It would kind of stop the bleeding a little bit for Marvel. And then the true test would be something like Secret Invasion or even in terms of movies like the Marvels. It gets me a little worried about what's about to come with the Marvels. Not just because it's three strong female characters. That, I don't care about that stuff. To me, it's about the story elements. And okay, Secret Invasion was supposed to lead into something with the Marvels, but our audience is going to be caught up to date with that. With Armor Wars, to me, that's going to be even scarier because if the disconnect of, of the connection stuff within the MCU is happening if people haven't seen secret invasion are they going to get what's going to happen in armor wars are they going to get what's going to happen in in the marvels and i just feel like there were big things that were happening in the show that just felt like they were one and done and quick and it's i feel like wait this is huge ramifications for this story for these characters for the mcu as a whole and they just rushed through some of that stuff and to me it just, it, it's a shame because I was really looking forward to the show. I love that they went, I think, really kind of grounded with this. I think it worked, especially in those first couple of episodes. I got that kind of spy thriller element that I feel like has been missing from the MCU that I really enjoyed in a show like Falcon the Winter Soldier or in something in Captain America the Winter Soldier. I just feel like it was a breath of fresh air, but I feel like they moved away from that as they kept going on in some of the episodes. And to me, the fact that the last episode has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, and granted, not everyone is reviewing that specific episode, but the fact that it's 13%, it's the lowest TV show episode in the MCU to date. It's probably the lowest anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date. I think it just showcases that they went a wrong way with this show. And I still want to give props because I think the thing that still stands out is the acting. I think Samuel Jackson is incredible as Nick Fury. I thought Kingsley Benadire did a great job as Gravik in certain situations. I thought Ben Mendelsohn, Jackson, and, and Mendelsohn's chemistry continue to be one of the big spotlights of the show. I really enjoyed Olivia Coleman in this show. And again, I was worried by like episode three, oh, are we gonna get more of her or not enough? It was cool to see her in moments, but I wish we got more of her. I wanted to know more about her character and I felt like we didn't get that in this show. I, I really like the relationship between Fury and her, but I didn't get anything else and I wanted to get more from her. And so I hope that she get continues in the MCU because I really like her, her character. I really enjoyed Amelia Clark and what she did in the show. But again, it's just that the writing of the show just didn't take this in a direction that I felt was was right. And, and, and it just it didn't flesh anything out. It felt like it was cookie cutter plot points throughout it. And yeah, it was very underwhelming for me, especially coming off of the first two episodes. If it was just the first two episodes, I would say, OK, they're onto something. And I, and I did think that. But. After episode six, again, whereas something like Mandalorian was able to tell stories within each of their episodes, but they had an overarching story that was great, and I think you could binge watch those and really get it, I can't say the same thing about Secret Invasion. I think it just, it gets, truly gets worse and worse and worse as the episodes go on, and I think the the CGI is not that good in, in the finale at all, and yeah, I think the surprises you can kind of see coming a mile away a little bit and I think it cheapens some of the emotion of what happens or what's supposed to be happening and yeah to me it just was a very low point 
for the Disney Plus shows. I think it was, it's going to be a low point for Marvel once again. And yeah, so far than the Guardians, not a great 2023 for the MCU. I'm hoping again that Loki is able to stabilize it again, and maybe they're able to knock it out of the park with the Marvels. We'll see. But especially because again, I'm a huge Miss Marvel fan. I love what Amon Vellani did in the show, and I'm excited to see her in a future film debut. But I, I hope that film is able to have great success. But to me, Secret Invasion just as a whole did not cut it whatsoever. And to me, it's one of the worser shows in the pantheon of Disney plus MCU shows. And I think in the grander MCU sphere, when we combine the TV shows with the movies, this will definitely be on the bottom of the list. I think joining maybe even going below things like Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, because I still, even though those aren't as great as films like Winter Soldier, Endgame, The Avengers, the first Iron Man film, I still enjoy those movies. I, Other than the first two episodes, maybe the third really, I didn't really enjoy Secret Invasion all that much. I just was there to be there for the ride and knowing that it's the MCU, but I didn't get a lot out of it, and I was not impressed overall with this show. But were you guys impressed with Secret Invasion? Let me know what you think about it down below and leave your thoughts. Again, give non-spoiler reviews on what you thought of the finale and the overall show that is Secret Invasion from the MCU. So to move on now away from the TV corner, I want to go into the trending trailer segment of the podcast today. And I want to talk about two specific trailers that came out this week. One's for movies, one's for TV. And we're going to get into the TV one real quick since we just came out of the TV corner of the podcast and talk about the first trailer that's come out that's come out now for one of my favorite shows that have really really started ever since kind of the pandemic and that is the show that stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez and that is Only Murders in the Building. I have been a huge fan of the show since it debuted back in 2021, I believe it debuted in it did, yeah. 2021 was the first season. Last year was the second season, and I really have enjoyed this show. I think the chemistry between the three leads is incredible. I think the mysteries have actually been very good, some really good twists and turns that develop some of the more supporting characters within the world of the Arconia, which these characters reside in, and the world and the characters themselves. And so when they tease what was going to happen in season three, where it seemed like Paul Rudd was going to join the crew, and now we have someone like Meryl Streep coming on board as well, which is exciting. I was really excited to see where they were going to go, and it seems like they're they're going to be going outside of the Arconia and going into the world of Broadway and show business and really take this show to new heights. And I think they're going to be able to do that now since they're kind of coming out of the pandemic. Productions are able to do a lot more coming out of the restrictions over the last couple of years. And so I think you're seeing that with a lot of productions, both in movies and TV. And I think this is one of those examples right now where you're able to go to all these different locations and settings and expand this world. And I'm really excited about that. And seeing this trailer, it looks it looks like it's going to keep on doing that and more. The addition of Paul Rudd and Meryl Streep are really good. I'm really excited to see the chemistry that Meryl Streep is going to have with these characters. Ashley Park, even though she's maybe not a name that a lot of people know, seeing her just recently in what was uh, what I really enjoyed this summer so far in Joyride, I thought she was great in that film. So seeing her in this show is awesome as well. So just seeing those characters and more, it seems like Matthew Broderick is getting into this show as well, just from the quick little shot that you see of him in the trailer. So all of it seems like it's just going to continue that train that we've been going on with these characters in the first two seasons. And hopefully the mystery is just as good as the previous two seasons and they deliver some great twists and turns while also some great laughs. I mean, even though the three of them are great, you still have magic with Steve Martin and Martin Short. They're the true comedic driving force of the film. Again, alongside Selena Gomez, who I think really has proven to be just a really great quality level actress in general. Like to see her go from singing and then acting in Disney shows to really being in a show like this is very much more adult driven, but also very funny as well. And she's kind of the the straight laced person in the show, and she does a great job at it. And the chemistry between those three is great. But to me, 
it, the the what makes the the comedic gold go round is still very much Steve Martin and Martin Short, and I'm excited to see them together, the three of them together, everyone back for this show. It seems awesome. It's starring on August 8th is the premiere of season three of Only Murders in the Building, and I'm very excited to see where they go from here with this show. And then to move on to the big movie trailer that came out this week. It is for the horror film that is set to come out later this year, taking the reins of the Halloween trilogy from the last couple of years. It is now going to be the trilogy of the reinvigorated Exorcist franchise that is going to be helmed by the Halloween figure, specifically from writer-director David Gordon Green, who did the recent Halloween trilogy, bringing back Laurie Strode, who is, of course, played by the great Jamie Lee Curtis. This time we have a cast that includes Leslie Odom Jr. and Dowd, and of course, kind of taking on that Jamie Lee Curtis role of bringing back an iconic character. That would be this time around in the Exorcist world. Ellen Bernstein returning to a role that made her very iconic in the original classic Exorcist film. And watching this trailer, listen, again, I've always said on this podcast, I'm somebody who is very much pick and choosing when it comes to horror. This might be one where I might bow out and wait for it to come out in VOD or streaming and see it from there because this just looks horrifying. It looks absolutely terrifying all the way around. And to me, this is it is interesting because to me, even though I re I think the the 2018 Halloween film is awesome. It is a great horror film and I think really reinvigorated the Halloween franchise. But then unfortunately, the last two films were very much a misfire for what was a great start in that 2018 film and picking up from the classic 1970s film. And for me, it's going to be very interesting what they do with The Exorcist now. Are they going to be able to recapture the magic of that original classic film? Or is this one going to go off the railings a little bit more? So it's going to be very interesting to see. This one is set to hit theaters on October 13th. And along with the trailer coming out, it was already announced that this would kind of be a new trilogy, kind of like what the recent Halloween trilogy did, and that they already have decided on a release date and title for that next Exorcist film, which is going to hit theaters on April 18th of 2025. And it'll be titled the exorcist deceiver so we have believer this time around this year and then two years from now we will have deceiver so again to me this looked really really good i'm somebody who is a huge leslie odom jr fan so for me to see him in something like this it's different because i feel like we've seen him of course in hamilton he's done films like the many saints of newark something like glass onion last year so to see him in a horror film like this is really interesting and he looks really good in it the cast is really good as well so i'm excited to see what this one delivers for me but again i might i might skip out it on theaters wait for it on home because i'm just a scaredy cat but i think for others they will go check this out and, and i think this could be one that translates to what the 2018 Halloween film did and bringing in some big box office numbers, but it, that could be a little tricky because I do think Halloween is more known than The Exorcist. I think for horror fans, for film fans, we know that The Exorcist is one of those classic trailblazer films that you always talk about, but within the wider audience scale, I don't know how iconic it truly is because again when you have halloween you can go with the michael myers mask people know that character and they know laurie strode i feel like I, I feel like it's a little different with the extra so i do think it could be a success but it's going to be very interesting to see if general audience members will go to see this film but we know that the strength of the horror franchise is legit it's there horror fans will go to see these films in droves and if the budget is within reason i do think this could be an overall success and the fact that blumhouse is producing it kind of like what they did with the halloween films i think this one could be somewhat of a success. Now, again, I don't know how big of a success, but I do think it could pull in some good numbers for them come October 13th. And again, coming out around the Halloween time and people do want to be scared. So if they're looking at their the, the, the theater times, theater showings, movies that are out right now, and again, they might know The Exorcist, they can see The Exorcist name and be like, oh, The Exorcist, Halloween time, let's go see a horror film. That could be the one that does it. So we'll see. But right now, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this film does. I do think it'll have success, but we'll see what happens given the market that we're in right now. You, it, nothing's ever really a guarantee when it comes to the box office right now. So we'll see where it does, but I think the trailer is a good start for them overall. What did you guys think 
of both of these trailers that came out this week, both for The Exorcist Believer and for Season 3 of Only Murders in the Building. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final main news topic that I want to talk about on the podcast today, a thing that I talked about earlier in a previous episode was the the big the, the strikes that are happening right now the the dual strikes both with the with the writers guild and the screen actors guild right now and the last time we talked about this it was being reported that warner brothers was looking to potentially delay some of their films coming out later this year that would probably need big promotional campaigns from their actors and i was going into the whole soliloquy of talking about how actors another half of their job and a big part of their job that i feel like never gets mentioned is being able to go in front of a press tour and sell a film and how having names on a film could be beneficial for these films and you had films like Doom Part 2, The Color Purple potentially Aquaman The Lost Kingdom be in reports of potentially being moved to 2024 because that's how long studios might be looking at these strikes, especially the Screen Actors Guild strike lasting until if a deal does not get done in the next couple of weeks to a month potentially and it could go on into the holiday time potentially if these films are looking to move at this point since something like Dune isn't coming out till November but it probably wants to be part of the film festival circuit and something like The Color Purple isn't coming out until December but you never know with some of these films when they want to get started on a promotional campaign so there were recent reports about that happening and those did not go away as there was a report that came out from Deadline earlier in the week talking about these strikes and the potentiality of these films moving the strategy behind some of these studios thinking in doing this. So the first one are some of the smaller films, the indie films that could benefit on being on the award circuit, but they might not do that because of the strike and the fact that some of these people that are involved might not be able to just join because they might be part of one strike or both strikes. So the first one that came up in this report was one that I'm actually really excited about in the beginning of the fall season is Drive Away Dolls, which is the new film from Ethan Cohen, who did The Tragedy of Macbeth a couple years ago and kind of is out on his own right now he wrote and directed this film but it might not be hitting because of the strikes that are going on right now because first off Ethan Cohen would probably not promote this film you might be able to promote a film with Ethan Cohen just on him alone and I think that's part of the strategy with some of what these studios are thinking is can we market these films just with our director our writer some of these other films if our actors can't promote it and I think for something like Ethan Cohen you might be able to pull that off but he won't be able to do that because he's on strike air now because he's a part of the WGA and even though the Coens themselves are directors, whether together or apart. I think they're first and foremost writers. So I think just on that alone, they would decide not to do it because of the WGA. And so they're deciding to that it won't hit the festival circuit. And because of that, they're looking to move the release date away. So it doesn't compete with another film that could go on that is going to go on the festival circuits having its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. And that is, of course, Dumb Money, which is about the the GameStop market and taking on Wall Street and the fact that this stock almost cratered the market, really, for a lot of these big billionaires. And it has a great cast that includes... Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Shanley Woodley, American Ferreira coming off of Barbie, and you have Pete Davidson in there. It's directed by Greg Gillespie, and if you know uh, Pam and Tommy last year, even a couple years ago, which, speaking of Barbie, he directed I, Tanya with Margot Robbie. I, I believe it was in 2018 that he directed that film, and it was a big Academy Awards contender. Came out that year, won Alice and Janie a Best Supporting Actress Oscar, and got Margot nominated for a Best actress nomination for that film playing Tanya Harding and so he's a he's a, a name in the world that you know in, in in cinema and so they don't want to go against that film so they, they could be moving which is a shame because I really do like Drive Away Dolls I really enjoy the trailer I think it stars two awesome up-and-coming actresses and we'll see if it's able to actually play but if not i i can't fault them for doing that another one that is going to be hitting the festival circuit but won't be coming out in september is poor things which is the new yargos lamithua film who of course did films like the favorite 
stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and this is a film that is going to be hitting festivals, but instead of coming out on September 8th, it'll be moving to a, Dece- a December 8th slot. So that probably means that they want to compete for award season this year, but they're looking at maybe the strike lasts until the festival season. Won't be able to get some of these people involved, especially someone like Emma Stone, who is a big actress. You want to have her on the press tour for this film to get people to go see it. And so maybe the strike ends in October, November. Then you can get them going for the press tour in December. And then I wouldn't be surprised. It hasn't been announced, but I wouldn't be shocked if the December 8th is a limited release, comes out on the East and West Coast to contend for awards. And then it opens up slowly over the next couple of weeks leading into the early weeks of 2024 and kind of take the traditional awards release date route in terms of strategizing the limited windows that these films take during that time period. But of course, still the big one in, in the room, the elephant in the room is Dune Part 2. And according to reports from Deadline, the main points that they take away from Dune Part 2 and the thinking is that A, Legendary Studios not Warner Brothers, is in the pilot seat for this because they are the ones that really put in a lot of the money for it. They're the main producing partner of it, so they are the decision makers on this. And as of right now, they are in a holding pattern and have until the September to really kind of make a decision on what they want to do. So they might feel out the month of October, the month of August, see where things stand, and then maybe by Labor Day weekend, beginning of September, they make a decision whether to keep it or to decide to unfortunately move it to some sometime in 2024 and if they do decide to do that they could do multiple options for moving the film if they wanted to do that and so they have apparently they have march april or they could do a break in the summer to connect it to a potential Cannes film festival launch because i do think that what whatever dune and legendary warner brothers wanted to do they wanted to put it in the film festival circuit like they did for the first dune back in 2021 and while it wasn't it was rumor that it wouldn't be making a Venice or TIFF debut, that it could potentially be a debut during the New York Film Festival, which for somebody who lives around the New York area would have been pretty cool. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen because of the strikes. And the report also details that if a deal is made by Labor Day weekend or the Labor Day, the film will stay on its November 3rd slot. So there's still a lot of moving pieces for this film. And when more updates come about, we'll see what happens. But this is the game that we're playing right now. And it's unprecedented because we've had a writer strike in recent memory. But we have not had a Screen Actors Guild strike. And this is this is the consequences of that. You could make excuses and you could still be in production and promote things without the writers. But you can't do anything without the actors. And I think it's showing how valuable they really are. Not just in making movies, but making movies profitable. And I think we're seeing that really take place. I think when you look at the dichotomy, not the dichotomy, but compare and contrast to strikes, I think the writer strike definitely impacts movies, of course. But I think the more immediate impact on the Writers Guild is TV. And I think the more immediate impact for movies is from the Screen Actors Guild. And I think you're seeing that, especially not just in production making, but in the actual promotion of the of what is coming out right now. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. There are reports also that the Marvels is not expected to move at this point, although we'll see what happens. But... It's going to be very interesting to see. It's going to be very interesting August, and it's going to be a very interesting September of where things stand because for a lot of these studios and for a lot of these marketing campaigns and for a lot of the the marketers that work for these studios – this is their time when they start getting ready to get their campaigns going and formulate their campaigns for these films. And they need to know what's going to happen so they can either go all steam ahead or kind of reset, regroup, refocus, and then hope for the best in, in 2024 or even a little bit a little, a little bit closer to twenty, the end of 2023 into 2024 potentially. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I hope none of these films move, but again, strikes happen and, you know, the the writers and and actors need livable conditions right now to pay their rent, to live a good life and it it needs to happen. And so we'll see where this goes, but Right now, I, I wouldn't be shocked if some of these films move. I wouldn't be shocked if Doom Part 2 moves. 
because I don't think the strike is going to end until October, November, the earliest slash latest. So we'll see where this goes, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere good as of right now, given where all these sides are at right now. It seems everything is very contentious at this particular moment and time. So what do you guys think about some of these films that are moving right now? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the podcast today is just give a little bit of a breakdown on some of the things that are coming out this weekend. So again, it's not the Barbenheimer opening weekend of last week, but there are some additional films coming out this weekend that you might want to take a look at if you've either seen Barbie and Oppenheimer or if you've seen them multiple times and want to see other things that haven't come out yet. So the two big ones that are coming out this weekend, the first one is a new Disney film that is set to come out and is another one based off of one of the f- more famous rides in the Disney parks, and that, of course, is Haunted Mansion. And, and there was a film that came out years ago that starred Eddie Murphy, but this one has a whole new cast, whole new actors, and whole new setting and very much is more based on the ride than I think some of those earlier films were. It's directed by Justin Simeon. It stars a really good cast that includes Lakeith Stanfield, Tiffany Haddish, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Rosario Dawson, Dan Levy, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Jared Leto. And I got to be honest, I, I'm not really enthusiastic about this film. The trailers really haven't done it for me. It seems very or by the mill Disney at this point. And again, this is, I think, shocking for some people that know me where I would probably do a little bit more of a positive spin on a film like this, but I just, I can't. I can't do that to myself right now. And just whenever I've seen the trailers, I just never have had that excitement for this film. When something like The Little Mermaid came out, I was genuinely excited to see that film. I can't say that about The Haunted Mansion right now. So for me, it's one that I, if you want to take the family to check it out, if you've already seen Barbie or you've already seen Spider-Man again or Elemental, which I would recommend those films over this one, still, I I don't, I, I don't know how this film is going to do overall. It is right now projected to make around $30 million, which would not be a good start for this film, especially since it has a, a production budget at around $150 million. And if you probably take marketing into account, probably balloons up to 180 closer to $200 million, which we've seen what those budgets have equated to over the last month or so with films like The Flash and Indiana Jones and even, unfortunately, Elemental and, unfortunately, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part one, but that one I think is more circumstance and where it ended up than anything else because I think that film probably would have done better in another circumstance if it didn't go up against Barbenheimer, which nobody really thought it would be the force that it is. But I digress from that point. Haunted Mansion, if you want to check it out, definitely one that could be with the family if you haven't checked out some other films that are coming out. Then another one, talking about horror horror fans again, this is one coming from A24. It was had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year, debuted at the Cannes Film Festival last year, and that is the film Talk to Me, which again, it was being distributed by A24. It is directed by Danny Filippiou and Michael Filippiou, and it stars Sophie Wilde. And again, I've seen the trailers for this one, and again, not the biggest horror fan of the world from the reviews that I've seen. This one sounds like I would not even want to see it because I'm a big scary cat, which means for you horror fans that are listening, this seems like it would be right up your alley. The, the trailers have looked terrifying to me. They look just creepy and just make my skin spine shiver and, and, and make me just want to look down all the time because I'm going to be scared out of my mind with jump scares and things like that. So this seems like it could be a potential horror breakout. I think horror fans would want to check this out, especially since I don't really, there's not really a whole lot to see right now. I think Insidious is out right now, but it's had its time over the last couple of weeks beating in July. So I think horror fans want to see something new and this could be one that does it for them. So We'll see how it does. It only has a budget right now of around $4.5 million, and we'll see if it's able to, to have any kind of room or anything like that. But those are the two films I would recommend seeing this week. If you haven't already seen Barbenheimer, of course, that would be the one that I would recommend overall. But in terms of new stuff, Haunted Mansion, Talk to Me, are the ones to be on the lookout for this week and both in theaters. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. 
content, you can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source of what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, make sure to check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows that are on the podcast solutions, such as Russell Attic Radio, Fretzel Mania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on X now, not Twitter, X, at Basil Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Vassell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening. Thank you.